You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me is a friend of mine, Sean Reynolds. Sean, welcome. Thanks, Dirk, and I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Sean, you know, we were talking a little bit before I hit record, and I know Sean was a podcaster, but he's deep and so I'm talking to a pro, so I'm I'm a little nervous. I want to make sure that I'm uh, uh, performing. So a little backdrop history with Sean. So I got to know Sean back in the day when I was a lender. And Sean is, you know, Bellevue is a big city, but it's not so big when you, you grow up there and you know people. But Sean was one of the best appraisers, was very dialed in with our company. Uh, he was the kind of guy that we would go to and when we we're in situations like, you know, is this house truly this value, whatever, but very good at what he did. I would always try to get Sean to do my appraisers back in the day. And then when they changed the rules and I couldn't talk to him, but uh, very, very smart. He also started a real estate company um, and he's also a podcaster. And so he's got a lot going on. And what I love about his story is, you know, one thing led to another. And right now I really feel like, you know, talk about the zone of genius. He is in his flow and I think it's important just to kind of look at what he's done and sometimes things can take a while, but the two companies that he uh, started before kind of feed his podcasting. So um, I think it's a really cool story. So I'm going to let Sean, I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to let Sean talk a little bit about what he does and kind of pay attention to the three entities. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks for that intro, Dirk. So I started off working for, for my dad, who owned the appraisal company that I now own. He left in 1989. He went down to Texas. He was doing a ton of investing. And um, he sold the company, Reynolds & Klein Appraisal, to his partner, Frank Klein. And then I ended up buying that company in 2000, no, in uh, 1994, 1995, somewhere in there, a long time ago. And I've been operating and running that company to this day, we've had as many as I think 12 appraisers, something like that. Now we're down to just a handful. But in 2001, I started my own real estate brokerage because my appraisers needed to have the key to get into vacant homes. And a lot of them like to do a deal here or there. And so I started Summit Properties Northwest and that has grown into, I, I think we've got somewhere between 90 and 100 real estate brokers. And so both of those companies are still kicking along. And in 2015, I really ramped Summit up from about 25 brokers to maybe you know 75 or 80, somewhere in there. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, along with a lot of other people, that real estate was just going to be dead because nothing was going to be going on. And I had already started doing a little bit of podcasting, maybe one a month or so to promote Summit Properties Northwest. And so it was called the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. So I had that going on at the beginning of the pandemic. I decided I'm going to podcast every single day because if real estate's dead, then I need something to do because I'm not good at sitting around. So we started daily podcasting and then, you know, real estate went the other direction. It just took off. And um, so I've been daily podcasting now since March of 2020, got stuck at 50,000 subscribers for about a year. 
I mean, just couldn't figure out which way to take it. And then most recently, um, we found some some content that's been happening, and uh, we were up over eighty thousand subscribers. I think eighty one thousand subscribers now, and and that's really starting to take off. But what's funny, Dirk, is that I no longer really talk about real estate. People know that I have that background, but I talk about a bunch of other stuff. But I can always bring that background in to whatever content I'm talking about. Cause I talk about a lot of public safety issues. Um, what happens when you defund the police, you know, stuff like that. Why is crime elevating the way it is things that impact real estate, but people don't really work through, you know, the mechanics of how that, how that works. So like you and I were talking before 90% of my time is spent podcasting and, and, and video in you know, YouTube. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't pay the bills because we're just not there yet. It'll pay a good portion of the overhead, but it doesn't cover the bills. So my summit properties, Northwest and Reynolds and Klein appraisal, you know, when we're not dead slow, like we have been basically the last six months, we're kind of just emerging from that. Um, it all works out. It all works out. So I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. I never really thought I would, you know, be recording three podcasts a day because we release 12 a week, two, two on Monday through Friday and one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And we premiere each one of those. So I sit in on the premieres every morning at nine o'clock. That's my, that's my work day. I start at nine o'clock because I'm going to be with a couple hundred people that want to watch that day's video and I'll chat with them. We've got a live chat going and yeah, a bunch of other stuff. So that's kind of where I sit. So I want to go deep on the podcasting, but before we do, I want to go backwards a little bit. Um, you know, you worked with your dad and you ended up buying yep. the appraisal company. Walk yep. me through a little, just out of curiosity, were you college here in Washington uh, or did UW. you? Yep. Okay. UW. Yeah, I was working. I worked through high school. I worked through college. Um, and then I got married, had a kid and bought a business at either age 23 or 24. And then the next year we had a major recession. And so I got to work through my wife quitting her job, having a kid and having a business that wasn't making any money. Trial by fire, you know? You, yeah. Was that the just, appraisal business? Yeah, it was the appraisal business. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we just absolutely tanked, hmm. <laughs> you know, and I've got this one-year-old. I'm going, ah, oh, maybe this wasn't the greatest idea in the world. But, you know, you work your way through and you take on some debt and you figure it out and, you know, you live to fight another day. So you jumped right into, I mean, there wasn't like a, a gap 10 years, five years. You got right into the appraisal world pretty much from the get-go. Yeah. I, you know, my dad saw that I was pretty good at what I was doing. And he's like, I'm going to have that kid work because, you know, he, he's going to make me some money. And I did. And then my dad took off uh, in 89. So it would have been my, my junior year of college. So I worked for his partner. And I got, uh, you know, I worked for my dad for a long time, you know, really young. But then I got you know, uh, a pretty hardcore, um, coast guard guy. I mean, military background, that's where I learned from. That's how I got my skill set. That was my mentor in appraising. And he was just, he was, is, um, uh, hardcore. Like, this is how it's going to be done. This is what we're doing. This is wrong. This is right. We're yeah. going this way. <laughs> you You're know, talking about your dad. You no, talking about my dad's partner. Oh, partner. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But then he got a divorce and he left in 94. Mm -hmm. And so I'd been working for him for a couple of years. And then he's like, he he got his second or third divorce. I can't remember. And he said, I'm done. I'm moving to Mazama, Washington. You can buy the business. And so a partner and I bought the business. I think we, I think we paid like uh, 27 grand for it. Right. Something like that. Just not a lot of money, but the business wasn't really worth anything either. It was just relationships that I'd built. And so, yeah, bought the company and then down the road, bought out a partner and then started up Summit. And then uh, I've got Fight Club Media, which now produces News for Reasonable People, the, the, the daily podcast that I do. I love it. So people are watching right now. So there's going to be like a three prong effect. We're going to talk a little bit about the appraisal world, a little bit about real estate and, and maybe dedicate more of the time to the podcasting because I think that's really interesting for me. So people are coming on uh, just, you know, we won't get too deep on the first two, but tell me just as an appraiser, like we could, we, I had a podcast with one appraiser and, and it was really interesting. We went like 50 minutes and there was a lot of questions I have. I won't do that with you, but what is it about the business? Like what's your biggest surprise? So if somebody's coming out of school, they're, they're thinking about being coming an appraiser, like, what is it that you've learned that maybe you didn't know that would be really important for them to know before they kind of dedicate time, resources, et cetera? You got to be, you got to be able to analyze numbers, but you can't be so stuck in your head that you don't have the flexibility to go, okay, there's another angle to this. Maybe there is some more value there. I think a lot of people are so black and white or so, so cut and dried that they're not able to function in a world where there's always a value range for a home, but we have to put a certain pinpoint on it because that's what the lender is going to lend on, right? Maybe it's a million bucks, but in reality, that value range is probably 950 to a million 50. Having the flexibility to recognize, hey, maybe my original number that I put down isn't, maybe there's some room there. Maybe there's some flex there. And I think a lot of people with like really rigid, you know, whatever they went to college for, maybe math, maybe it's good to have a math background, but being able to have some flexibility as an appraiser to me is kind of what made my career what it is, because I'm able to say, my number isn't set in stone. I'm willing to look at your data. But then again, if I think my number's right, I'm going to say it's right. And that's a lot of what my career was built on is, okay, I'll, yeah, I'm, if there's another number there, I'll look at it, but I'm good. You know, I'm going to apply my way of valuation to it. And if it, if it works great, if it doesn't, um, does that make sense? Yeah. I love what you're saying. Cause like that quality that you have, Sean, I remembered that, like you weren't so rigid and stuck in your way, like a traffic cop, like flexing your muscles because you could. Uh, you were, you were, it's like an underwriter, a good underwriter is, is willing to look at the big picture and, you know, uh, and even in podcasting, like, you know, we're talking about Joe Rogan, for example, like, I like people that are willing to like, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I missed something. Uh, and I think that's a really important quality, uh, for a good appraiser. Cause I know there's a lot of voices back in the olden days. You'd have guys like me calling and saying, Hey, you know, this is Can we get 10 grand more. I need yeah. 10 grand more. Can we get 10 grand more? But you <laughs> were like, yeah, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. But you were always cool about it. I mean, and you also have to like be compliant and you need to make sure that, you know, the bank is hiring you to do a job and you need to make sure the collateral is valued accurately. So you don't want to, 
you know, screw them and give them a fake value or a value. You know. So you're, you're very good at what you do, but that's an interesting point. Is there anything about uh, being an appraiser um, that you just, you didn't like? There was a lot of stuff I didn't like. Um, the valuation technique is based upon a, a formula that, that in reality doesn't make any sense. It's based on matched paired comparable sales. So if this house sells for this much and this house sells for this much, this one has a two-car garage and this one doesn't, the difference is what that two-car garage is worth. In reality, we all look at housing differently. Your wife, your significant other, your spouse might love the kitchen. The next dude's wife might hate it. That creates a value issue because they're willing to pay XYZ for this. They're willing to pay XYZ for this. But the methodology of appraising is such that it's supposed to be cut and dried. And it's not because real estate is everybody sees things so differently. You know, what you need versus what somebody else needs, what, you know, your sibling wants out of real estate, wildly different. And so from that standpoint, you know, appraising is kind of tricky. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. Well, you're, you are, and you were very good at it when we used to work together. I think it's, um, I think it's a good thing you bring up. Cause I'm thinking about like somebody that is an appraiser that has strong opinions that's, um, used to kind of doing it his or her way. You also are in an industry that you have to abide. There are rules, there are methods. Um, so the wiggle room. Federal or, rules. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you kind of, I don't want to say you have to bend the knee, but you, it's not a total, you know, like things that you need to think about in career. Like this is an example of the ability to be an individual or be flexible and call your own show. Like you are in an industry in the appraisal world that, you can be you, but you also, there, there is a, a line you can't cross or you have to operate within a certain spectrum. Um, so I think it's a, a good point you bring up. Um, what is it, what did you love about the business? Is there something that stuck out? You know, I, there's so many different neighborhoods that I know, like the back of my hand, little things that you wouldn't know, like little mini marts that I stopped in at to get a snack, to get a water, to get some lunch over the years, because I've traveled all over Western Washington appraising. I can now talk about stuff that comes up in a podcast about, yeah, I did a waterfront home up on this area. And here's the deal. You've got massive slides in Magnolia. I did a slide home back in, you know, 1992. And here's the deal. So I've got all this history of stuff that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that, you know, if I didn't have that background. Now, the big thing that I think people are going to want to know is how do I become an appraiser? That's always a huge one. People ask me that all the time because you've, you've got this process where you have to get 2,500 work hours, experience hours within a two-year time frame, And you also have to have a college degree. And you also have to have like 180 hours of like not continuing education, but just education. So it's this massive commitment. You got to be caught. You got to be a college graduate. And then you've got to go get a, an internship with somebody and they're going to pay you peanuts for that internship because you're not able to write a report on your own. You've got to co-sign with somebody else. So the state laws are really onerous to getting into the business. It's really tough. And I don't take on trainees because it's ultimately my liability 
with their work, but they're doing most of the work. And so it's a tough gig to get into. If you can get in, you'll make some money because there's, it's such a, you know, you've experienced how backed up appraisals have gotten. I mean, what a nightmare. And on the appraisal end, we've been working overtime, but because there's not enough appraisers and nobody really wants to go into the industry, the other massive issue that I think is coming up is artificial intelligence. Those bots that basically can figure out value are getting better and better over time. So I think the appraisal position is going to go from a valuation standpoint to more of a property inspection standpoint. Okay, you inspected the home. It's this condition. We're going to take our AI. We're going to take our chatbot GPT 4.0. We're going to apply it. And here's the value. So I think that's the way things are moving forward. So I wouldn't tell anybody to not getting into appraising. But I also wouldn't tell them to expect it to be there in 10 years, in 15 years, because I think the industry will change massively. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So I do bring in AI a lot on my podcast and yeah. um, it does, you know, I'm, I'm not on the alarmist spectrum, but I, I definitely think it's going to eliminate a lot of jobs, including mine, to be quite honest, in the lending world. I mean, maybe maybe we're still around, but uh, it's scary. I mean, it's interesting. I was talking, no, I was, I was talking to someone, no, I was watching this podcast and they talked about, and their terminology, not mine, they said a moron's IQ is like 70. And I, I'm surprised, I don't know if that's a politically, <laughs> but that's what they said. Maybe that's, that's yeah. and they said yeah. Einstein was 160 and the smartest person ever recorded was like 210. So three times, three X of a moron, right? Uh, yep. And again, their words, not mine. So um, they're saying this, the, the AI, the chat, it's going at a thousand X. So we don't even know, like, you know, we don't even know where it's going or where it's taking us. And it's going so fast and so quick that it's like impossible for us to try to figure out, you know, what it's going to do to our society. And one guy was talking about, he's like, right now it's like a child. He's like, they are listening and watching us. And they are trying to figure out how to be human. And, you know, the fact that they're going at a thousand X, I don't know, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I think it's going to be really, some people are like, oh, it's going to be great, but I, I don't know what the heck it's going to do. Uh, but there are a lot of jobs that aren't going to be around because of AI. Um, on, on, not to go too deep on the real estate side, but same kind of question lines of questions like if someone wants to be a real i know that you run a company you manage a real estate company i don't know if you were ever a realtor going out and showing homes but what i do sold you, a handful back in the day and i did go out and show homes okay yeah for sure so yeah. i guess i mean again i don't i've had a lot of realtors on um what's your take like i guess the um you know what, what would you say like what did you like about that? What did you hate about it? Like, what's your advice to someone who's thinking about either becoming a realtor or maybe wanting to run their own shop? Running your own shop is like running any business. It's got an inherent amount of risk. It's got an inherent amount of reward. You got to be good at running a business. I already knew I was good at running a business before. So I just took that skill set and said, okay, I'm going to run. This is going to be my shop. And so on the, the, the summit side, I've got a super simple model. It's an 80-20 split. It's a $10,000 cap and there's zero desk fees. So it's a real basic. That's why I'm able to manage it 
with 95 or 90 brokers, whatever it is that I have on top of the appraisal gig, on top of podcasting, because I don't have all of this extraneous, now we're going to do this kind of marketing. We're going to do this. We're going to do this branding. We don't really do that. So I would say on the business end, if you're a good business person, you can run a, a, a real estate brokerage. It's not that hard. Um, as far as selling homes, I never really enjoyed that because you got to be a real people person. You got to really enjoy getting in a car with somebody for X, Y, Z number of hours, showing them homes and hoping that they pick one. And then you got to kind of convince them this is the best one. And then you got all the negotiation and, you know, we, we always say buyers are liars. You know, you run across all kinds of stuff like that because it's big money. You know, real estate is typically somebody's biggest investment. So there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, you know, you know, the drill. I mean, you've been, you've been caught, caught in the crossfires how many times on a transaction going south? I mean, it's brutal, right? It's brutal. Didn't really enjoy that. I, I like to be a little bit outside of that. And if somebody wants to take shots at me on YouTube, which they do all day long, you know, my mom watches all my stuff. And she says, when I started getting going on, on YouTube, she's like, Sean, I hope you've got a really thick skin because people are taking some big hits at you. And I'm like, mom, I know I, it's just keyboard warriors, right? People get behind some, mm -hmm. you know, name that isn't theirs and then just start pounding that keyboard. And you're an idiot because of this, you know, so each industry has its own thing, right? Yeah, I I, I want to get into the podcasting. Um, I, I I am curious though. Like, you went to UW, and then high school. Where did yep. you go? Bellevue Christian on okay. Clyde Hill. So yeah, were there signs like again? I keep tying this back to say someone that's struggling, that's coming out of college, high school, and I, yeah. I and I think college is great. But you talk, I was shocked that you need a college degree to be an appraiser. Um, yeah. Like, I think college is great, but I also think there should be a gap between high school and college. Like, go work, go do something and just get yeah. a feel because there's so much money and time invested in college. I think it's a shame that most of the time people come out of college and they don't know what the hell they want to do. Uh, again, I love college, university, but I feel like there needs to be a little bit of a something in between um, for people to kind of, it's like dating, you know, got to figure out what you like. But yeah. what kind of guy were you? Like, were you an athlete? Were you a, a musician guy? Like, yeah. What were you like? I was student body president my junior year. I set probably 25 records in cross country and track. My 800 meter record still stands from 1986. I lost my one mile record in 2009 and I graduated in 87. So I was a pretty good athlete. I graduated with a 3.7 GPA, but I'm also a college dropout. I got enough college hours and I was grandfathered in before you had to have a college degree. When I started appraising, there was no licensing for real estate appraisal. That happened with the FIREA Act of 1989. Federal Financial Institutions Recovery Reform Enforcement Act. I mean, what a long name, right? I mean, uh, and so that got the ball rolling on, you know, having to all these requirements. And so I kind of got grandfathered in not having a, uh, a college degree, but I bailed out halfway through my junior year because I looked around at, you know, the education I was getting and I was like, this doesn't really apply to what I'm already doing in the real world. 
I don't really care. I don't really think I need a degree. And I've never really looked back. I've never really had a regret. I've also never once had a job interview. I've just never had one. You know what I mean? That's something weird about me because I never experienced that. I've been, I've been, you know, I'm my own business owner for so long. And now I'd probably make an absolutely terrible employee because I always think that, you know, my way is right because I've been doing this for 30 something years and yeah, there's no other way it could be except mine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know, no. You get stuck in your own head. I hear you, man. Uh, I was just thinking like my wife just started working again at a, a company and she was updating her resume and I'm like, shit, I don't even have a resume. Like I've, I haven't needed a resume in 25 yeah. years back yeah. in the day when I worked, I worked for Mark Cuban. Um, and then we were bought by Yahoo. I mean, back in the day, then I, I had to, and, and so if you're watching this, like, I want you to pay attention to like, you, you know, get beyond what the job is. If you want to be a pilot, a dentist, whatever, like the lifestyle. And then one of the things that like is coming up with you is, I don't know if you intentionally tried to do this, but so in the lending world, I don't have an annuity income. Annuity income is like a financial planner or a commercial insurance person that builds a book of business. It takes a lot of time and you, you got to renew it, keep your clients, but it pays you a, a X amount per year or whatever. And as you go farther along in the career, you, you keep getting paid, whether you get up, you got to, you got, you got to show up for work. I, I didn't mean get up or not, but like you have to do your job. But like in my world, I get paid on loans I funded. And if I don't fund any loans, I don't get paid anything. What you've done, which is really interesting is you've created an annuity uh, from your two previous companies, which aren't really annuity type jobs, right? Appraisers, you know, <laughs> they're not, yeah, no, they're not. I mean, <laughs> you got to, I mean, you, that's one of the things about appraisers. Like that. I, yeah. I don't think I would like is how do you scale that? Like the, the make more money, you got to do more appraisals. Um, and there's only so much time in the day, but like, which, which is cool. If you're watching what Sean has done is he's built two successful companies, created an environment where he can kind of step out and have it managed, you know, on its own. And yet he's getting this income from them. So I think that's really important to think about the career and how you get paid. You know, is it a one-time deal or is it an annuity or whatever, but um, getting into podcasting, the interesting part about podcasting for you, as we talked a little bit about this is here you are doing, you know, I don't want to say commoditized, you know, appraisals, real estate, a lot of people do those jobs. And now Sean has his chance to, to be Sean, like your individualism is coming out. Like nobody's doing what you're doing. I mean, not really. There's people that have shows, but now you're, it's like a 180. You've done something so different now. And, and I guess the question is, how does it feel to get to be you? Like, it's not about your appraisals. It's not about you selling a home or listing a home. It's about your opinion, your words, your style, like, how does that feel? Because it's so different from what you've done before. You get 100% of the win. You also got to take 100% of the responsibility for when you tank, for when you suck. And you will tank and you will suck. I've had strikes against my channel. We've been taken off for just stuff that I wasn't aware of. I had to learn an entirely new vocabulary. I had to learn background on stories that I had never read before because I'm a real estate guy. I know, I know how real estate goes. I know nothing about 
you know, I, oh, I, I, I knew nothing about what I'm into now, which is a lot of public safety stuff. I didn't know how all this worked. So it's great in one sense. It's also really scary some days waking up and going, oh my gosh, maybe I should have just really ramped Summit up more. I'd be making more money. I'm not making enough money to cover overhead, but I'm going for the long haul. I'm doing the long play. And that to me, I'd rather do the long play any day than take a short term, you know, because it's, it's comfortable. I'd rather be way outside my comfort zone, sitting way over the edge of my skis going, well, this might work out and this might also absolutely crash and burn. That's what I like about it because, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're playing the dice game. You're going to come up with sevens. Well, if you work hard enough, you could. And so I'm now on a trajectory where I'm taking on a lot of subscribers and that feels really, really good. But then the pressure is, okay, so you got to keep doing it. You got to keep reinventing yourself. So that's, that's all I've done, Dirk, is I've really reinvented myself three different times. And here we are, you know, some guys are, and, and you've done the same. You're going down a different route. I think people should know how many loans you closed like when you were killing it, there was like Dirk Novell and some other dude from like Cobalt way down here. I remember one year, that's all people talked about. You absolutely crushed it. Do you remember what year that would have been? Well, you know, I would like to agree with you. I, I, I think the, the, my good years, there was a few guys at Cobalt that were right there. Um, Maybe even above that's, me. That's not what I heard, Dirk. That is not what I heard. No, honestly, I mean, <laughs> I'm so insecure right now. I would, I would lie and tell you you're. No, I'm kidding. I, no, I did good. I mean, I, you know, I had a really good team, and I'm not trying to be Mr. Humble, but I knew. So this is an interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up. I wasn't. I'm not the best lender, you know. But I was in a business that it's a popularity contest and I knew a lot of people. I grew up here. Yep. And the yep. reason I'm saying this is because if you're listening and you're like, Oh, lending it, you, you gotta, if you know people and they like you and they respect you, I mean, you can know everybody and be the class clown, but they might not want to manage their money with you or trust you with ha their financial. Have you sell their house? Yeah. Have you get their mortgage? Yeah. And people knew I was serious and I yep. cared. And that's the thing about me. And yeah. And I was lucky too. And, I was in a market with rates dropping and like right now I'm really struggling. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm really struggling. Uh, Dirk, everybody in real estate is. And if people are telling you they're killing it, they're lying. Yeah. Well, I, I just saying like <laughs> the reason I bring that up is if think about the, the career you're going into and do you have control? Like you might go into a career that the market can really mess it up and you have to be um, open for that or be aware of that. Cause you know, as a lender um, you know, if rates go up to eight or 9%, you might be kind of screwed for a while. So just kind of pay attention to the industry or the career you want to get into and understand what can affect it good and bad. But yeah, I had good years. I had a really good team. Uh, I worked with Scott legacy group was a really great company. Um, and it was a, it was a hard business to scale, but yeah, I had some good years for sure. Um, but what, what year do you think was your best year? I know there was a refinance boom. There was a, and you kind of specialized in jumbos, right? You yeah. did a lot of jump. I, I know you did everything, but you crushed it a couple of years. I was telling my son, Kiernan, who is one of my appraisers, 
that he had, he had one of your deals come across from legacy. And he's like, Dirk Novell, I've heard that name before. And I, I kind of told him the history. There was a year, was it like 2000 and change that you just, you drove in so much business. I mean, it was insane, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I had good years. I did. Yeah, you did. And here's the, here's the thing that's important about that is I wasn't happy. Like I wasn't sad. (laughs) No, but I wasn't like, um, I didn't have like, I mean, no work life balance. Yeah, no, no. I had balance. I did. In fact, my best year, my best year, I went to Italy for two months with my family. Wow. Okay. Okay. But like you, I created a system, um, that a team and the the team was the most important, but wasn't me. I was just, I was just a dude that knew people. Um, and I worked hard. That's an important, that's an important dude to be because without that dude, that team doesn't have Jack. Yeah. You gotta, I mean, here's a, here's the catch 22. They work way harder than us. The processor, the uh, LOA, but they don't have the context. So it's kind of like, there's a little bit of bitterness sometimes, if, especially if you're a jerk and you don't treat your team with respect, which I always did, but like, you got to know people. And so if you're somebody that's dialed in and you know, people and they like you respect you, you know, sales can be great. And, and I was business to consumer, meaning anyone that I bumped you into in the street, whether it was a dentist or someone I played hoops with, could be a client. And then there's yep. also B2B, business to business. So when I was at Yahoo or working for Mark Cuban, I sold the marketing directors at technology companies who I didn't know. So there wasn't really a stickiness because they didn't know me. There was no real true connection. So in deciding what you want to do in terms of sales, understand who you're selling to, understand if you have a comparative advantage in that, like, do you know people? And if you're moving from New York to Seattle and you're the greatest loan officer in the world, but you don't know anybody, you're kind of screwed, at least for a while. Um, so we're talking about me now. Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get yeah, back. I just, I just, I, I thought it was important for people to know kind of at what level you operated at, at one point. And, and it was like substantial. Everybody, everybody that was in the mortgage industry knew who you were and mm-hmm. knew the volume, the, the level of volume of deals you were doing because you were heads above. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you were head above everybody else. There was a couple of guys that were like, you know, half lap back, right. In, in track terms, but you were, you were way out there and you, you know, you had some killer years. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I don't even know. I, di- I didn't think about it like that. Like it wasn't important to me. Like I liked the money. I liked the freedom. I liked, I, but it wasn't like I was proud of myself. I didn't want to win that race. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's yep. what I think the important issue is. I was running a race that at times was exhausting, but that's not the race that I wanted to win. Uh, it's not how I wanted to be remembered. I didn't want, I didn't want to introduce myself as a loan officer, nothing against loan officers, but, and, and I think that's the thing that I want people to pay attention to is, is make sure if you want to win a race, make sure it's a race you want to win. And it gets exhausting when you're doing something day in and day out that you're not truly passionate. And by the way, I'm still a loan officer. I'm good at it. Uh, I care. Uh, I'm a good person to do your loan with, but you know, I see people excel, like blow me out of the water. And these are people that are truly, truly passionate about what they do. Like you, I think what you're doing with podcasting is there's a, there's a new energy. I I mean, I know you and I don't hang out all the time and we're not the closest of buddies. I I like you a lot, but I see you every now and then at the club. 
Yep. But I noticed something in you. Like, I feel like you have this energy and that's with the genius zone, you know, uh, that's what I want people to find. And so getting into, you mentioned something about being a podcaster. You had some blow up. I forgot the terminology, but you, you talked about strikes, but you had some negative things happen. Like what are those? Like, was it controversial content that you talked about? And then all of a sudden you had people attack you? Yeah. 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 So super interesting. So right before the elections, a ton, I, I talk about some conservative topics. I talk about defunding the police, terrible idea, how things impact values in real estate when you take away zoning. A lot of what are considered progressive ideas don't translate well to the business world. And so I talked about a campaign video that a guy down in Arizona did. He was one of five candidates for a congressional position in Arizona. I played a video of his where he talked about um, he talked about the original members of uh, the Ku Klux Klan were it was this controversial video. He, he, he did a video about how the, mem- the original members of the Ku Klux Klan were like Democrats or something, which was technically true. And so I played that video and I just talked about it in the context of, you know, is this marketing that should be, it was a big, huge deal. Now, a bunch of left-wing podcasters did the exact same thing. Their accounts were fine, but YouTube told me that I was promoting, um, you know, political violence by talking about a video that was literally a campaign video showed all over Arizona, but my channel got taken down for one week. We got a strike against us. I'm not able to reach out to any fan members. Just all of a sudden, like that, the channel goes black. So that's a strike. We had another strike, a warning for talking about the coronavirus. That was that's an off. You can't talk about that. You will get demonetized. You will get censored if you go down any kind of discussion of that. You know, it's like when you go to Instagram and you see all these warnings, it's like, well, who's coming up with the warnings to ultimately be the the truth teller here? You know, there's a lot of censorship that goes on. So I've had to figure out, okay, where are the lanes? Like, where are the lanes to stay within? Because the rules and regulations are so onerous that you don't know. So I've got a secondary channel. I've got a private subscription channel called reasonabletv.com. It's 10 bucks a month. And that's where I talk about all of those topics. And we got a bunch of subscribers. And so, and that is held on Rumble because Rumble doesn't censor, whereas other entities that start with a Y do. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I'm trying to build that out right now myself. And we talked about this. I'm not, I don't like to bend the knee. Like, you know, I'll die. uh, How do I say this? speaking my truth. Right. And I'm also very curious. I'm a true seeker. Like there's a lot of controversial topics that, you know, that I've been hit with over the last few years that I'm very credible on. Like I have over a decade years of experience researching, but if I'm wrong, I want to know if I'm wrong and I'm okay with being wrong. The problem is the other side, and I'm not getting political here, but some people just can't be wrong. And that's that's a really dangerous place to be when people are cognitive dissonance. They're locked into a belief system that they can't even fathom changing their mind or their opinion. So you're, you're dealing with some interesting um, issues. Um, fun, 
but I think there's a happy medium. I think there's a way to speak your mind and you've learned a lot. I, one thing I, before I, I, I want to be, I don't know if I want to get too political on this stuff, but I am curious just financially compensation wise, if someone's looking at you and they're like podcasting, they want to do their own show, whatever, how, how are you compensated? Like for example, YouTube, I know there's probably sponsorship advertising. Um, how, how can someone get paid or make a living as a podcaster? Yeah, you can get sponsors, but then you got to, the content has to be okay with them affiliating their content with you. I, we make our money. So I'll give you a rundown in the last 28 days. I think we've had 1.8 million views. I think we've had 190,000 watch hours, something like that. I think we've brought on 7,100 new uh, subscribers. And for that, for our portion of that, through AdSense, through Google, selling to their advertisers, our portion will be about 7,800 bucks, something like that. But we're putting out, you know, two full length, half an hour podcasts per day. And then one on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So we're putting out a ton of content, which, which is more than the 7,800 bucks. But a few months ago, we were making 1,500, two grand. Our best month was during CHOP. And I believe the advertisers absolutely screwed Black Lives Matter, the entity, the corporate entity that was running a ton of ads and basically just they paid me a ton because I was over covering chop and jazz at the expense of Black Lives Matter. I was covering it from the standpoint of here's what's going on. Here's a business dude showing what's happening at chop, which was a big deal. And during those months, we made over 20 grand a couple of months just from advertising revenue. So advertising revenue from, from Google is massive, but then you've also got to stay in the lane of what their advertisers want. And if you do content that that they don't like, they will tell you there are no advertisers that want to advertise on this particular video. So mm -hmm. if, if you do run this video, you will not get paid at all. And if you don't get paid there, YouTube's not going to push it out because they only want to push out content that, you know, is going to bring in advertisers dollars. And we manually put in those, those commercials, right? We put one in at two minutes, put one in at whatever you can put in as many commercials as you want until you don't piss people off. You know, yeah, too many commercials on your videos, and so, you know, that's, that's just kind of how it works. Uh, merchandise is another one. That's a huge one. Um, we've also got a discord. Real quick, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. Yeah. I want, I want yeah. to make sure. Okay. I, I kind of, the way my brain works, I got a, okay. So you have a, a say a YouTube channel and you've yep. got like right now, I just launched 20 of my podcasts. I've got another yep. 30. I'll have 50 and I'm doing about 10 a week. Eight, yep. seven to ten okay so you go to dirk novell and you see all these videos so the advertising revenue is that is that basically you're bringing in so many eyeballs so many hours so many views hours, hours of watch time okay so then is that income that goes to you or does that is that seen by like now all of a sudden you see an advertiser in the right top right or the bottom left or what is that the It'll actually jump on as a, as like you're watching television, a commercial will pop up during your podcast, during my podcast. Yep. During so the video. Don't interrupt it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have the ability, yep. if you have a 40 minute video, 
they'll just, they can stop, insert their ad in the middle. Yes. So every 10 minutes, you can basically put an ad, say. So the longer conform content you have, the better, because then you can, it's like an hour long TV show is going to make twice as much revenue as a half an hour, right? Because you've got slots for advertising. So in order to get monetized on YouTube, you have to have 1000 subscribers, which took years. That was the uphill battle. I struggled for years to get a thousand subscribers. Now I picked that up in three days. Like, Mm. It's wild. You have to have a thousand subscribers and you have to have 4,000 watch hours within a one year rolling basis, which means YouTube is saying, Hey, we want you to have at least a thousand subscribers. So this many eyeballs are watching. And also we want you to put it, be putting out enough content, 4,000 watch hours. You know, it sounds like a lot in a one year basis. And it is when you're just getting started, but now in the last 28 days, I've had 186,000 watch hours, which if you work that out into years, I think it's, I don't know, you know, if somebody sat down, it's like 60 or 70 continuous years of watching my content is what has been consumed in the last 28 days. Congratulations. Yeah. So, so we're getting there, but, but that's also small potatoes compared to like a Joe Rogan compared to like a Tim pool compared to, you know, any of these other pretty famous people who get quarter million views each video all day long, you know, they're, they're in their zone as well. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Like I've gotten a chance to, uh, Jesse Itzler, um, I know Ben Greenfield was at one of our events recently. Uh, you know, some of these guys are huge and gals, uh, uh, you know, Matt, I went Matthew McConaughey and Tony Robbins did an event a couple of weeks ago that I did. Um, yeah. So, so they're in, okay. So this is interesting. So if you're listening and you're watching and you're curious and you're like, okay, I am, I know I need to get paid. So you're, you're, you're putting together content that's being seen, heard, whatever they're inserting, they're inserting ads. What about yeah. like the, the visual part of the page? Like, like, can you negotiate a deal with say a Nike or someone or, or is that all handled by YouTube? Like, are it's they all the one- handled by YouTube? It's all handled by AdSense. Yeah. So, so from, from one standpoint, you are their boy, right? You've got to create content that they think is appropriate. Whereas over on rumble, I can do anything I want. I mean, anything, but you got 300 million people watching YouTube. You might have a million watching rumble. So there's just no contest. There's no contest. Do they ever Um, say, Sean, hey, do you want to play ball with us? You can't play ball with Rumble. We saw that you have content over there. No? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They they can't really do that. Um, And it's on a subscription basis content only. So they'd have to get a subscription and kind of work its way through there. But literally, you know, it's, it's a crazy world. And we're not even talking about the audio portion that goes out to, to iTunes, that goes out to, you know, Apple, that goes out to Spotify, that goes out to, you know, we're syndicated on probably a dozen, probably like you are, um, entities for just the audio portion, the MP3 portion, but we don't really make any money on that because it's just, that's a, that's a, that's a super tough gig. So is the money, how's the money made on audio? Um, same thing. You can get, uh, yeah, you can get, sponsors, somebody can pay you. I haven't chased after any sponsorship 
because I want to do things 100% my own way. And that's another thing. A lot of people get to where I am and then jump on board with the locals, jump on board, you know, with, with another entity that um, is going to, you know, really launch their career. Whereas I take my two real estate companies and basically just pave the way financially so that I always have control. And that's one of those things I've learned from watching like Joe Rogan is always have control over everything. So like when he did his $200 million deal with Spotify, he didn't sell the podcast. He sold the rights to watching those videos for XYZ number of years. I mean, he still, he, he still retains 100% control of his entities. And most of these big media companies want you to basically turn over all your rights and then they'll license you and they'll, you know, get you going. You mean like all the shows he's done, they want, they want to own that content. Yeah. 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 And, and that was the big battle with YouTube. Um, is that they were telling him, Hey, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And Joe Rogan said, no, I'm doing things hundred percent my way. And even when he made, you know, when he first got on with Spotify, he made some comments about trans people that all the trans folks at Spotify found very offensive because he was speaking the truth and they wanted to take him off. There was a big push to take Rogan off of Spotify when they just paid him. I think at the time they said it was a hundred million, but it's more like a $200 million deal, but it's all based on revenue. So if you're driving in all these eyeballs, 200 million bucks isn't really all that much in the big scheme of things. So it's all kind of scale. And so that's why I've done everything on my own because I want to own it so that in case one day I get really big, you know, I'll get compensated as well. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so I have my stepdad is kind of a he's a businessman, but he's also kind of a politician. So he uh, he, he owns the Seattle Times and he's a publisher. And mm. I remember years ago, um, this is a funny story that relates to you. Uh, I, I forgot his name. He's a very conservative uh, radio guy. It's still going locally. Uh, John. Uh, He's, I think he's the top guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? John? Uh, uh, ah, shoot, I'm blanking. Uh, anyways, he was something happened with my stepdad, and he was talking about him in not such a positive light. And I was protective, you know, like nobody's going to. So I called in. He's talking about your dad? Stepdad. Your, step, your step, stepdad? Yeah, okay. And, okay. And, I, and, the, and I have a point to this. Uh, and I remember calling in, and I pretended Going I was Going to the radio to, show? <laughs> yeah. And I called him and uh, John, God, what the heck is his name? He's the, I think he's the top talk show guy. And I don't know. He's, and I, 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 he was pretending to be really close with my stepdad. So I was quizzing him on how well did you know him? And, and I remember like just the, uh, the, you're talking about the personal stuff, people attacking you. And it's the, the other thing is, you know, in the world of appraisers, real estate, mortgage lending, it's not such an emotional uh, place to play or work. And I remember like Frank lives in a world like that. You're getting involved in controversial topics. Um, I think for the audience trying to figure out where the hell I'm going with this conversation is you have to like, know if you've got this, like your mom said, the skin or the whatever to deal with this kind of stuff. Cause you're in a totally different world. It's not about some lender pissed off because you came in 50 K under value. It's, you know, you have a whole group that's, you know, whether it's transgender, whatever the group is, they're attacking you. So it's got to be a little weird for you to kind of get out of 
the world you're in and now into this world where there's so much emotion in uh, and fire and like it's like right now i just i get a little freaked out like there's just so many i don't even know sometimes what to say because i'm going to piss off some group yeah. and like it's it's like walking in a, a minefield how minefield. do you Absolutely. You, yeah. Like, how do you become a successful podcaster, speak your mind, not bend the knee and be authentic? Well, that was one of the reasons I went to recording three full podcasts a day is because with that, you have repetition. It's like doing one loan after another. It's like doing one appraisal after another. You get better with time, right? And so the more you do, the faster you do them. You can experience what that feels like. Okay, I talked about that, and these people got so upset with me. Here's how I'm going to approach that down the road. So you get to work through all of kind of your checks and balances. And the way I view it is that I've got to learn a my third skill set, and I'm 54. I mean, that's pretty cool. Not everybody gets to do that because when you and I grew up, you worked for the same company for 30 years. You got the you know you got the gold Rolex. And you checked out and you retired and maybe you lived another 10 years if you were lucky, right? I mean, that's the brutal reality. Now we have the option to go recreate ourselves because of technology. Yeah. So what makes you so good at, I mean, the numbers don't lie, right? It's a data world. Uh, you have subscribers, you have an audience. There's, there's a voice that you're providing people an opinion. What, what, what is it you think that you're doing so well? Um, why are people listening to you? I think they see me as normal. They see me as not affiliated with any particular political group. They see me as a business guy, still got one foot in the business world. I'm willing to say it the way it is. I'm willing to go out and shoot video. I shot video down in Portland with my son who is now deceased. And it was so violent in Portland during the race riots that I shut down like a live stream because I got too scared. I had my kid with me and he's, you know, six foot, two, 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 fifteen, two twenty, And I'm about the same. I'm six, one, two, fifteen. We're not small guys, but we're, in, you know, I, we were in such a position that it was like, okay, yeah, we're shutting this bad boy down, this live stream down, and we're going back to the hotel and regrouping. And we did. So I am willing to put myself in those positions. And I think people respect that. And then I always, I always just kind of tell what I think. Yeah, I, I, I speak the truth. And if you look at a lot of the big media out there, it's all got just this certain agenda. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. And, you know, a, a lot of it is what's going on with Tucker Carlson right now. You know, he's on a little bit of a hiatus and he's doing the moving his show to Twitter. That's a lot of what's going on. Media world is changing dramatically. CNN's numbers dropped off the face of the earth when Trump didn't get reelected. You know, they were a bash on Trump entity. Uh, you know, so things change so quickly. Um, and the stuff that uh, Elon Musk is doing, he went through and just gutted Twitter, cut 80% of their workforce. And he basically stated, well, if you're not censoring everybody and if you don't have a political agenda, apparently you can run Twitter with a lot less employees. I remember that soundbite. That was um, fantastic. Here's <laughs> no, somebody I'm trying to think who was asking him or was it Bill Maher or somebody was. I don't know. Um, no, it's yeah, interesting. I, I, yeah, it was somebody like that. Yeah, these are Might really Bill Maher. Yeah, these are really I mean, very divided, divisive 
I mean, it's, I, I, I guess not to get too political, but I'm so curious, like the division that's going on. I mean, I even felt it living in my neighborhood, you know, a neighborhood away, just on opinions that I had that weren't popular. Um, it, it shocks me, like to me, like people say conspiracy theory, but I feel like there's a real effort to divide and and dismantle what we have. And and I think a lot of the causes, like I'm open, like I'm not saying that we're perfect. It's, you know, we should stay the way it is. I mean, I'm always open for um, improvement and changing, but it just feels that the agenda right now is to divide. And I think at the end of the day, I think most of us, left or right or whatever. I mean, I think we all aren't that far off from our points of view, but right now it makes you feel like you are. And that's my biggest like, aha, like this is weird. Cause I don't think that, you know, 80% of us, 90% of us actually differ that much. We might on an, on a certain uh, issue or whatever, but it feels like sometimes like I'm 2% against 98%, but I don't really think it's the, the way. Anyways, I-, I that, It just feels that way. It feels it, that way. It really does. And maybe we, we jump on a, a different podcast and go deeper on that. I just think it's interesting to hear, like if you're listening to Sean, like here Sean is in his zone of genius, in my opinion, you're naturally interested in this content. Um, and I think it gives you, correct me if I'm wrong, but it gives you a lot of energy, right? I mean, you seem yeah. to have some yeah. juice. Yeah, because it's something new. I'm not doing the same thing. You know, I'm not doing the same thing. I don't have to get up and do the same thing. I get up in the morning and I'm like, I get to go talk into a microphone for about three hours over the course of about a three hour period. I'm not out doing appraisals. Sometimes I really miss the appraisal gig. I miss just getting out on the road by my own, on my own, turning up the radio and just driving to my next house, you know, that and seeing houses and seeing people. I do miss some of that. But now that I think about my life and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do that and I'm going to get paid for it. This is so crazy. So I, I, I guess I would tell younger people, if that's something you want to do, just go do it. Because I've got a stack of books, probably I, I went on Amazon when I first started this, and I've got probably a dozen how to make it how to be a profitable podcaster. And I never read one of those books because I was too busy doing daily podcasting and figuring it out on my own. Hmm. And I always tell myself, maybe I should go back and read those books. And I'm like, why? You know, I'm already doing it. And I've had to live through, you know, trial and error. And we've had some terrible errors. I mean, some some bad errors, but I think that's part of learning. So yeah. red light, green light. I mean, yeah. uh, stop, go. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, things happen. And I think um, it's funny, like for me, like I haven't read any podcast books, but like, you know what I, I told my wife, I'm like, she's like, when are you gonna start putting these up? I'm like, you know, I don't know yet that side of it, but I'm just going to start work, keep working on content. I'm going to keep having really good conversations with people like you and then, you know, things will kind of organically unfold, which they have. Um, I'm getting close to Joe Rogan on viewership. I'm, I'm not quite there, but I hope to pass him up in a couple months. Any um, day now. Any and then Spotify will be knocking with a 300 million deal on Dirk's store. That would be cool. That would yeah. be cool. Um, yeah. But hey, as we wind this up, is there yeah. anything that I haven't asked? I mean, you're, you've got all these different, you know, experiences, appraisal, real estate, podcasting. But at the end of the day, this podcast is about finding joy in what you do and aligning it with 
what you were born in in this world. I do believe, I mean, there are people who don't care about what they do. They just want to fish two weeks a, a year and whatever. But there are people that I think um, have a lot of voices in their head. Uh, they don't really pick careers based off their uh, natural skill sets, interests, and passions. Uh, I, I'd like people to think more like that uh, when they're younger. And and I and I think the payoff is you might be a lot happier in your life down the road. Is there anything I haven't asked you in terms of advice or questions or advice you might want to give to the audience before we wrap this up? Get a job that you can tolerate for a long period of time that's going to pay your bills. And then in your off hours, work towards what you really want to do. Don't give up that first job because that's what's going to pay your bills. So you're not living with your parents. You know what I mean? Be an adult. And then if you need to work your rear end off, creating that career that you're going to launch into, then that's how you do it. And unfortunately, it's just two words. It's hard work. Great. You know, that's that that that's what I would tell people. And that's what I tell young people. Well, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm like, okay, well, how, how are you going to, until you get there, how are you going to pay those bills? And nobody wants to talk about that because that's not fun. But if you got a family like you and I do, you know, you're going to have to pay some bills at some point in time and you're going to have to be an adult. And unfortunately, the only way you get there to overcome what you don't already have is to just go ham. Yeah. Or I mean, or be brave enough, go for what you think. If you know what you want to do, you want to be a vet, you want to be a, an artist, uh, um, a movie composer or a music composer, like go for it. And then maybe you get a side hustle at night, bartending yep. to pay totally. the bills. But I will, I will tell you when you play it safe, when you like, and I played it safe, I jumped into sales jobs and I'm good with people and I can sell, but I, I'm not terribly persuasive. It doesn't really excite me, but like, you pay the price when you go down the road. And I'm not saying that I regret my life, but give it some clear vision and thoughts and get quiet. And whether it's meditation or talking to people that know you and just think about what makes you unique and different. Think about what energizes you. And, and, and my advice is try to align that within your career. Um, and if you're in a career that you're like, no, this ain't it, then get the hell out. And yep, I mean, figure it out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Sean, you're great. I really appreciate. I mean, you've got a lot of skills range. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack, but uh, I think you're a great example of of how to do life. I mean, you've you've done. I mean, again, I, going, I, I wouldn't go that far. I've had some successes, but I've had some real bad down. I mean, I had a divorce that was, you know, just soul searching. I've had some of that too. So you got to be willing to take the good and the bad. But I know what you're saying, and I appreciate it, Dirk. But here you are, though. I mean, you're you're, you're having so fun. You're changing lives. People are yeah. listening to you, and yeah. uh, I think Shockingly. you like. I think you like your day. I mean, I think that's. I do. Uh, I do. Monday, yeah, Monday morning. You're you're not like, you know, you're not hating no, life. I'm not hating life. And what I tell anybody out there is, if you want to get into media, take your camera, start recording yourself, start recording whatever it is you want to do, post it, see what people like, rinse, repeat, figure it out. That's great advice. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dirk. And I appreciate, um, I appreciate our relationship over the years. I've known you forever. You're a great guy. And if anybody wants a loan, Dirk Novell, I mean, he's got some experience in there too. Thank you very much. I yeah, appreciate that. Sounds good, Dirk. All, All right. right. See ya. Thanks so much. Sure.